Hey team, welcome to another episode of the Best Speech Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Pacchione, and this week we have Gary Ware with us. Gary is a rather charismatic fellow, as you will find out. So Gary speaks all the time on the value of play. That's right, play. In this episode, we will talk about how he sells play, particularly to an uptight company, or <laughs> you can you can picture this, like an uptight person in a company. So we'll, we'll talk a bit about that. We'll talk about how he deals with online webinars. Gary's big thing is energy. He is a high energy guy. Like it is weird to be a high energy guy and just be standing in a room, nobody around. How does he deal with that? We'll talk a little bit about improvisation versus winging it. And then one more thing, and I didn't know this until we had this, (laughs) until we recorded. Gary knows magic. There's a point in the podcast where I mean, I basically forgot I was on a podcast and I, I was talking to him about a fundraiser I was at and I was like, how does the magic work? And then I realized I didn't want Gary to get kicked out of the Magician's Alliance or anything. So if you know how that magic works and you wouldn't mind telling me, <laughs> please send me an email. But you're going you're gonna to love hearing Gary Ware. This is a passionate man. He'll tell you all about how to get your energy revved up. Let's take a listen. <laughs> oh, I'm laughing already. Here with my good friend, Gary Ware. Gary and I have a lot in common. That's not why we're good friends, but we do have a lot in common. We've both done trainings. We've done speakings. We've, we've both been wedding officiants, right? Correct. We met speaking at the same conference. Gary has over 14 years of experience in the corporate world. He's done all kinds of things in different leadership positions. What I love, though, because that so far that probably made you sound like a little bit boring and like buttoned up. But what I love is everything that Gary does with speaking is rooted in improv. He was recently featured as one of the top 100 HR influencers of 2021. When Gary is not leading workshops or speaking, you can find him learning magic. What? We need to talk about this. We're off doing things with his fam, Courtney and Garrett. Courtney being his wife, Garrett being his son. Gary, you're great, man. Yeah. One of the things that's relevant to Gary and I, Gary is will forever be etched in my heart for being the last person I had a normal conversation with prior to COVID. We were at uh, Panikin in La Jolla. I think uh, that was when we're definitely hitting the point of like, oh, maybe this is a real thing. I remember you were on a call with your friend April. She had booked a cruise and this is when like cruises are being canceled. And she's like, I'm still going. She was turning... She had some big birthday milestone, and I was sitting there. I'm like, eh, April, I don't think you're going to go on that trip. Anyway, Carrie Ware, welcome, my friends. Hey, Mike, thank you for having me. And April did not go on that <laughs> cruise, so that is the correct answer. What's uh, what's your favorite thing that you do? My favorite thing that I do is I love making people mm-hmm. smile and laugh. I I'm an entertainer at heart. Yeah, and you're good at that. That's when we met. I mean, you were like, I've had Courtney Carver on this before. And there was, when I met Courtney, there was, there was very much this, like, who is this person? And same thing with Gary, but yours is rooted in play. What does that look like when you're in a conference or when you go to a specific company? Yeah. (laughs) I'm that person that is almost like a bait and switch where they, they come in and say, oh, we're going to learn about communication or we're going to learn how to be more confident. And then I sort of whip it out and say, ha! The best way to do that is to play. And it's just basically saying that I like to talk about the difference between childlike and childish. And if we can sort of rewind the clock when we were younger, 
kids, and there's data to support this, kids have genius levels of creativity. I have a four-year-old. It is true. The things that my son come up with is like ridiculous. And, you know, kids have the ability to think outside the box. It was, be, you know, before we become adults and we think, oh, there's only one answer is either right or wrong. But if we can sort of go back to that energy where we had that childlike wonder, where we thought anything was possible, where we had no problem sort of collaborating with other people, you know, our lives will be better. The fact of the matter is we become adults and then we become very rigid and that rigidity turns into stress, which turns into burnout, which turns into I'm working a job that I thought I loved and why do I want to poke my eyes out? <laughs> so what... What I've always wondered with you, like, so at a conference, it's great. The conference we were at, you were able to get people to get out of their chairs. Like we went in a circle at one point, like a giant circle, like in a giant conference room, held hundreds of people. We went in a circle. What's your biggest success story at a stale company? You don't have to say what company it was, but what's your biggest success story where there's someone in the room? Like I'm, just, I'm picturing someone arms crossed back of the room. I can't believe this guy with dreadlocks is trying to get me to play. Don't you know how important yeah. I am? Like, What's your best success story? So I was doing a workshop for a tech company, um, you know, up in the Bay Area. And everyone <laughs> is doing these activities. And this guy is literally on his laptop <laughs> in the middle of the room, like, like nothing is happening. And Wait, hold on, hold on. So are people circling him and he's on his laptop? Yeah, like <laughs> like he's just doing work. He was expecting that this was going to be one of these conferences or these these sessions where you could sort of just phone it in and act like you're paying attention. But like we're getting up, we're doing activities, they're pairing up. And all the while, like every now and then he'll look up and he'll look around and then he'll go back. And then like <laughs> as a facilitator... And this is the thing with play. Play has to be something that you have to be invited into. Like, yes, you can force people to do some stuff. And there's probably going to be some resistance. And they may do it, but then they're like, eh, why are you making me do it? And so my school of, of thought is I want to invite you to. And I even say this. I said, hey, look, there's going to be some things that are going to push you outside your comfort zone. I invite you to try it. Just like when I was a kid, my mom would say, hey, just, just take one bite. You know, you don't have to like eat the whole thing. Just taste it. And so I invite people to play. And if people don't want to, I'm not going to be the person that's going to step up and say, hey, excuse me, sir, um, that's on your laptop. Can you put that away and come and join us? Like, Because th that's going to be the fastest way mm -hmm. to turn someone off. But here's the thing. Emotions are contagious. So when this person is like looking up and like everyone's laughing and stuff like that, the coolest thing was that he eventually closed his laptop. Oh, wow. And then, and then he, he was like the odd duck of like, what's going on? And then we had something where people got back, you know, to tables and they started doing some stuff in small groups. And then he started participating. And again, I'm not one to just call him out because I know he probably felt sort of like awkward, like, what are we doing? And the fact that he was engaging was like a win. The real transformation was at the end where we're doing like a feedback circle, like, hey, what did you get out of it? What do you want to do? I was surprised that he raised his hand and he said, wow. And he, he was very blunt. He's like, oh, I thought this was going to be some some POS sort of situation. And I and, and I can't believe we, we, we paid you to come here. <laughs> He's saying this? He's saying that. And then he said, yeah, and he said this is the front of everyone. And then, and then he said, but here's the thing. Like, once I actually started doing it, I realized that I learned a lot about myself from that. Yes. I'm like, 
all right, great. I was like, can you write that and put that on my, <laughs> yeah, my LinkedIn uh, if you don't mind? But turns out he was the VP. Oh, wow. He was in yep. charge of this whole department. And, and, and he was the one who essentially uh, agreed for me to come in, but just thought he was just going to just be in the back. And so th that's pretty common. Uh, again, when it comes to play, the perception is play is just goofing off. Uh, it's just a waste of time. But there's a lot of power that comes from engaging mm -hmm. in play. So you do workshops on that. You do keynotes. And I know that we're recording this in November. Uh, you're doing some face-to-face -face and some virtual. What I'm right. curious about, because you're such a high-energy guy, how in the world did you handle the transition to virtual? I mean, I'm just, you're in your room. You generally feed off the energy of other people. You're doing this over Zoom or WebEx or whatever. What, what, what was your strategy? Well, first and foremost, I, as a performer, so take keynotes and stuff aside, I still perform you know, as an improviser. Up until the pandemic, I would perform on stages. We took 18 months off and, and now we're slowly getting back on stages. And as a performer in front of an audience that is, you know, is paying money to be entertained, our job is to bring the energy. Like no matter how you're feeling, we have to get in the right state to bring the energy. So I knew that there are going to be people off camera. I'm not going to be able to sort of read body language. People are going to be muted. There's going to be all these things. I had to get into the right state. So before every, and this is just a ritual that I've had prior to virtual. So I just kept the same ritual of, you know, 10 to 15 minutes before I put in my hype playlist. Mm -hmm. I get hyped up. Even if I'm like, you know, in my, in my shorts and business on top, like I'm still getting hyped up. And the other thing that I do is I create an, an environment where I can feel joy. So like there's usually off like where people can't even see there's pictures of like my son and stuff like that, that I can sort of glance at and, and like get that sort of energy and, and realize like, Hey, look, yes, this is in a virtual environment. However, if I consider this less than, then the audience is going to consider it less than. So I want to, um, in improv, we like to say, you know, play at the top of people's intelligence. So I want to, you know, bring the energy as if we were in person. And yes, I had to reimagine some things so that I can create an experience where people felt like it wasn't just some dude reading a script yeah. or doing a presentation, thinking he's in person. I had to sort of rejigger that, but it was challenging. I'm not going to lie. There were some things in the beginning where I got off and I was like, oh my God, this was terrible. Like uh, terrible on numerous fronts. Like, did anyone even notice what I did? Like, or, or two, I'm like, man, I felt like I just botched that one. Uh, but again, we got to get the reps in. It's interesting. I don't know if I've told you this before or not, but there's there's one group that I do workshops for that take place in China. So there are several things that are difficult about this. Number one, time difference. I'm doing this like 930 to midnight, my time. Number two, China at least this part of China, their bandwidth is just awful. Like, I mean, their internet bandwidth. So people cannot be on camera. And then on top of that, culturally, at least most people don't feel comfortable speaking up unless they are certain of an answer. But I'm doing a training. So if they're certain of an answer, like, why are they in the training? Long way to say, I just remember the first time I did it, I was in my old Portland house. My office was in the basement. I remember having this moment talking I like asked a question out loud. I'm waiting for someone to reply. I didn't know about their bandwidth issues yet. I'm, I'm going through the inner dialogue of why isn't anybody on camera? 
this is ridiculous, right? Like I have that dialogue in my head, nobody responding. And I'm thinking to myself, like my wife is asleep upstairs. My son's asleep. My dog is asleep on the couch next to me. Nobody's on camera. I'm just seeing a bunch of gray boxes with white names. Do I know if there's actually anyone out there? <laughs> like, is this, am I being pranked right now? And, uh, but I'm very thankful for having to do that because it taught me this really important thing that is along the lines of what you said, which is I need to just bring it as if I need to act as if I know it is good. Like I need to present confidently. It's interesting because I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. Like the world of virtual presentations is not going to go away. Even if it's not a formal virtual presentation on zoom all kinds of Facebook lives and things like that, the people who can manufacture that energy, that, that is a huge, huge skill. So all the things you do with the, the hype song and giving yourself something to look at over top of your computer, that's, that's really wise. But like, what was, if my low point was, is anyone listening to me? I'd imagine your low point, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm imagining your low point because you're funny. Imagine there are moments where you're like, what? why can't I hear the laughter? Are people laughing? Is that good? And what, what was your low point? It was that. And I remember similar doing a, a training for a group. Yes, this group was in India and it was late my time, like, yeah, 9, 30, 10 p.m. at night uh, Pacific. And maybe one person was on camera like here and there. And this is an interactive <laughs> workshop that so the the company that booked me, they they did it for their U.S. office and everyone liked it. And so then they booked it for all of their offices and their Europe office had a little bit more interaction and whatnot. But this one in particular, they like it was just like maybe one person on camera, maybe. But there were 30 <laughs> boxes. And so. This is requiring people to do stuff, but I can't even gauge. I'm like, I had to in the moment, and this is where my improv skills come in, of in the moment, pivot and say, all right, they're not going to, they're not going to engage on camera. They're not going to do any of that stuff. So I started asking them, can you put something yeah. into the chat? And so it was essentially, I was, I was doing the activities. <laughs> <laughs> and I was having them do stuff in the chat. But afterwards, because it does require a lot of energy to present to a crowd that is not giving you energy back, when it was done, mm -hmm. I was spent. I was like, and then I was like, for sure, I'm like, they hated it. They hated it. And, and you know, we had the sort of post-event survey. And I was surprised to get, like, decent scores. And people were like, wow, that was a lot of fun. I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the implied comment there is these things are usually really boring. Gary was a little weird, but he brought some energy to the table. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This, this was, yeah. Yeah. Again, compared to the talking yeah. head and they, they just think like, all right, cool. We don't have to do anything. But again, cultures are different. And that is something like as a speaker to understand, like, all right, who is this audience? You know, do they, you know, are you hoping that they will interact or, Maybe they don't uh, like I've done a, a number of things for uh, cultures like in Japan and whatnot, where, again, unless they're very confident in their response, they're not going to respond or they tend to, you know, you're not going to get one person that's going to stand out to want to do something. And for the work that I do, that especially is based in improv and we're doing games, 
they're going to be like, uh-uh. And so it's not like they're, that they don't like it. It's just that they're just not used to it. And so you have yep. to adapt. And so I, again, if I wasn't willing to, you know, adjust my material to fit the audience, it could have been way worse. It, like I, I've seen these and I've been as an audience for some of these, where these, these facilitators were expecting everyone to be on camera yeah. and expecting all this participation. And when they're not getting it, they're getting like frustrated. Come on, get on camera. There's going to be a lot of fun, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I know. See, that's funny. And I think the reason that happens, I've seen a lot of people, what they don't realize they're doing is they're berating the audience and they don't, they don't think of it that way in the moment. Yes. Right. But I've certainly seen people do that where, the the speaker will say things like "wake up," or "wow, you all are really shy today." And and I I get I get why you're saying it. <laughs> you're making it much worse, much worse. But you bring up a couple of interesting things there. One is it takes a lot out of you. I know for me, like even still, I have a tendency to schedule a presentation or a training for the middle of the day and then go like right to something else. And one of the things I've learned is I need to give myself a break. I need to go get ice cream, walk the dog, do five push-ups, something that lets my brain say, we're transitioning from that talk or we're transitioning from that training to this next thing. Because I'm sitting at the same chair, right? So that's one thing. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, and I think this is this will be so interesting for people, so your improv background. I have... So many people in my life that I have trained where they tell me I'm better at winging it. And nobody's actually better at winging it. There's one guy I can think of who's better at winging it. He had an improv background. What I think most people say that and what they really mean is if I don't have a script, then I don't feel like there's a teacher in the back of the room with a red pen taking points away. What they don't realize is that winging it might feel better for them, but for the audience, it is typically a heck of a lot harder to remember. But Gary Ware is good at improv. So tell us, Gary, like what are some what are some tips you can give people for improv? The the thing with improv that I've learned, because I came with the same perception, is like, oh, we're just winging it. You're 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 not. Because as an improviser, and it was funny because I remember when you talked about your post when you when you said you officiated a wedding and talked about the importance of practice. Yeah. And that like as an improviser. And as a professional speaker, I, I practice a lot. I go through it. But what I don't do is I don't memorize the lines verbatim, like where I like I'm going to mm -hmm. deliver it exactly this way with these words. That's somewhat of a challenge to me. And and improv helped me sort of be able to deliver it and, and be consistent with the material because I was being recorded a few times for some stuff early in my sort of career. And they're like, you did this 10 times and every time it was different. <laughs> we can't mesh any of this together. And so I've gotten better at being consistent. But what improv has taught me is when something happens, I am confident in my ability to adjust. Also, I'm confident in my ability to communicate because when you're on a stage making things up without a script, that is you're like walking on a tightrope without a net. And if I can do that, when I have material that I know that's in my heart, I can deliver that and it feels like I'm just having a conversation because I know it so well. Where most people, they get so rigid and they're like, okay, it has to be perfect exactly this way. And it just comes across as stiff. 
So it, it sounds to me like what you're saying is rehearse it, know it well, so that on stage you can improvise. Yes. On stage, you can deliver it with such confidence and finesse. People are like, wow, man, you just flowed with that. And on top of that, you can read the audience because if you are trying to get the words right on this script, even if you rehearsed it, you may miss that cue from someone in the audience that is like, like they don't get it. Yeah. And use that as a chance to like, you know what? Let me just slow down a little bit and do this. Or maybe those nodding of the heads where like people are like, oh yeah, I get it. And you know what? Maybe they do know it. And maybe this is the opportunity to elaborate and go down a different path because I'm all about, hey, at the end of the day, I want to create an, an experience where people remember it. And they're like, wow, man, you remember Gary's talk when he did this, this, and this? And this, the other thing too, like I like to compare myself. I'm nowhere near this, but some public speakers are like, I want to be like this public speaker. I said, no, 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 no. I want to be like Beyonce. I want to be the Beyonce of public speaking where people will come and see a talk. They're like, oh yeah, I saw Gary do this talk. Oh my God, you're going to love this talk. You know, because they would go see Beyonce and, and she sings the hits. And every time they're like, you know, all the single ladies, all this. Like, I want to be that entertaining and enjoyable that you don't mind seeing the talk that I've done a few times again, because I bring that fire and that passion. And maybe I might add a little bit something a little bit here and there, but again, it's still the same core material. So for somebody out there who's listening and they're like, oh my gosh, I give the same talk every single time. I am very rigid with it. I wrote it out and I'm afraid to deviate. Like what, what, what instruction would you give them on how to improvise? Is there something they should look for? Is there well, like yes. transitions they should be doing? How should they improvise? I actually have a game that they can play uh, that this game is called Levels, and, and we do this in improv all the time. And it's a way, so if you are rigid as a way to sort of baby steps and get out there, is practice different tones and inflections so that you can start to give the impression <laughs> that is less rigid. And so Levels, it goes like this, where in the game, when I'm running the game with people, I tell them to either take parts of their talk, just a little bit, like maybe two or three bars of it. and the first round, say it very monotone. Okay. And then every round, they will do something different. So one round, I might have them talk like a pirate and do their <laughs> thing as if they were a pirate. Again, the same words, but with the pirate accent, or maybe talk like a baby, or maybe go three times as fast, or maybe go super slow. And the whole point is that you're just playing with different ways of saying it so that when you actually deliver it, you can find what's that sweet spot so that you don't sound so welcome to my talk. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about the different ways that you can be confident, <laughs> uh, whatever the case may be. Uh, so good. What about if I'm, if I'm doing a training, one of the most effective, like easy, effective training energizers that I've seen is I think it's called ultimate rock, paper, scissors. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that, where everyone's going against each other and then there's one ultimate winner at the end. Yeah. Like so after you like after you beat someone, then they're they're your fans or whatever. Totally. And they, yeah. So we're in a room of 20 people. Let's say I go rock, paper, scissors against you. You beat me. Usually I would go back to my seat and be all dejected. But now instead of that, I'm going to turn into Gary's super fan as he goes to his next match. And I keep cheering for you or who you lost to. So that 
eventually there are two people <laughs> left in the room, half the room cheering for one person, half cheering for the other. And that's been like the greatest yeah. energizer and that I've done that at super corporate environments. And like, I don't know, there's something about rock, paper, scissors that I guess feels safe. What are some outside of ultimate rock, paper, scissors? What, what are some other things people can do for energizers? So there's a variation of that. It's called evolution, where you all start as eggs and you play rock, paper, scissors. And so if you win, then you become a chicken. <laughs> and then you go and you like you have to go, you like sort of walking around like a chicken. And then you go play rock, paper, scissors against the chickens. And then then you evolve. What is it? It's like egg, then chicken, then it's weird because T-Rexes are relatives are of chicken but whatever then you you become a chicken to a t-rex to like a human and so like if you lose you go back one <laughs> so like if you were a t-rex and you lose to someone in rock paper scissors then you become a chicken and then you go play rock paper scissors against the chickens and then if you win that you like so it's called evolution so you're either going up or down the evolutionary thing and it's just like really silly and again it's rock paper scissors which everyone knows and it's interesting that you bring this point about rock, paper, scissors as an energizer as it pertains to getting people to play. So for all you trainers out there that want to get engage people, start with something simple that yeah. people know. Because, again, there's a lot of uncertainty. So if it's something that people are like, oh, I know this one, they're going to be more likely to engage and you're slowly inviting them in. And that's how I structure everything I do is it's the simplest thing. The simple like sometimes the simplest game. It doesn't even seem like a game, uh, but I treat it as a game is we do like a group breath. Like, you know, we're, we're doing something simple and they're like, oh, wow. All right. And then I do something simple. And then by the end, we're doing something that is so complex that if I would have did it in the beginning, I would have right. scared everyone away. But because I gradually added these activities that are even more complex, people are long for the ride. They're like, oh, this was easy. All right, cool. What, what has Gary got next for me? And they don't realize that it's all structured in a way <laughs> that I, I got you. And now now you're hooked in. <laughs> you got tricked into trying. That's the moral. Yeah. <laughs> right. What uh do you do magic tricks in your shows? I do. So that was one of the things that Zoom, that's one of the blessings of Zoom is that I in my bio it says I, I'm learning magic. And that's very intentional that I say learning magic because I love to set the bar super <laughs> low. I do not want people to like have these high expectations. Maybe that's why I love improv because improv versus stand-up comedy. Most people say, oh, it's like doing stand-up comedy. No, it's completely different. Stand-up comedy, you've rehearsed these bits. You have all of these jokes that, that supposedly are funny. An audience comes in and they're like, oh, this is a stand-up comedian. Make me laugh. And they're judging. They're like, all right, make me laugh. We're improv. We tell them anything can go. We're making this up on the spot. So they're like, oh my gosh. Oh, any moment they could make a mistake. So they're so forgiving. The expectations are so low. And then when you say anything that is like a sentence that could sort of go any which way, they're like, wow, that was so good. Oh my God. I can't believe you <laughs> made that story together. So low expectations. So again, with the, with the magic, it was something that during the pandemic, when everyone was doing their sourdough and stuff like that, I was following my own advice and that I tell people when they're like trying to get into play, I said, what is something that you did when you were young that brought you joy? And how can you incorporate that in your life in some way, shape or form? And for me, I loved magic since I was a kid. 
And I never was really good at it, but I just love magic as a connoisseur of magic. And I loved like getting like little magic tricks and then like doing something. And then people are like, oh, wow, that was pretty cool. And so, and then of course, as an adult, like I just stopped doing it. And so I brought it out and I told myself again, low expectations. I want to be a crappy magician. Like I, I'm not trying to be the next David Blaine or anything like that. I, I just want to do something consistently and just suck at it, but just enjoy the process. And, and so I started doing it and then I would be on this training, this zoom training, and I would be telling this story and I'll bring out a magic trick and then I would do a magic trick and people are like, but, uh, did he just do magic? <laughs> and then like, it just like, it just like sort of like a throwaway thing. And then like, and then I would tie it in and like, oh, this is how it does this. And then it became a thing that I started doing it in my, my zoom. Uh, workshops where I will use magic as a way of storytelling, as a way of of a metaphor. So one of the big things that I got hired for during the pandemic uh, is burnout <laughs> and it, it helping people alleviate burnout through activities and then teaching them about how play can help them not burn out all the time. And so I started out all of those workshops by talking about, I have this can of can of um spindrift and 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 a, and a cup and i would say this was you that i point to the can of spindrift this was you when you started working you're bubbly full of life and then this is your job the thing that you loved and then you started pouring yourself into your work and pouring yourself into your work and then pretty soon and i crushed the can i was like you're spent you're burnt out and then but you thought oh my job should replenish me and i go to pour the can to pour back into the the cup to pour back into the can and it's empty and they're like what just happened they're like expected it to and like and then i sh I'm like look it's empty and then they're like <laughs> this would be the best what? trick what? And so that's and then that's how i kick it off and they don't realize that it is like i'm like yeah yeah that was a magic trick and then but the cool thing is and how i again as an entertainer first presenter second i have crafted this story arc where I'm going to bring this back at the end. And so when I bring it back at the end and I said, how many people feel more energized? And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, you remember the can in the beginning that's crushed. And then I revive the can and the can is what? full. And I pull the thing off and I pour the soda from, Sorcery. Like, from the can back into, and then they're like, what did I just, and that's like my, my finale. Like that's how I end it. And again, that was a discovery because of virtual, like doing these virtual things. And now, I have like a new element, like when I actually do stuff in person where I can be like, oh, hey, look. And, and again, I don't I don't book myself as a magician because, again, the standards are different when yeah. you are like booked as a magician. I'm booked as a presenter who happens to know magic and it's completely different. But that's that's how I go. But like, OK, if you saw a magic trick, would you know how someone did it? For the most part. Yeah. Yeah. There's. Yeah, that's the thing about magic is like once you learn some basic magic tricks, you can probably guess. But however, there are some magicians that I follow that the stuff that they do, you're like, that is complete sorcery. Like, how did they do that? Jess and I went to a Zoom fundraiser for our Portland Young Life uh, like nonprofit. They needed to raise, I think it was $49,732 or something like that. We get a deck of cards sent to us in the mail. During the appropriate part in the, the talk, he's like, okay, just split it in half however you want. He does that for five different people. Okay, so the magic here is that all of us wind up with one of those numbers, 49732. So we were the four. Like, 
how did that work? I looked, the deck wasn't all fours, right? Like, so did he reach into my brain and tell me where to cut the deck? Anyway, you don't have to, I've seen the rest of the development. Maybe you're not supposed to give away secrets, but do you know how he did that? You don't have to tell me how he did it. That one in particular is, a lot of magic is based on math. Math and misdirection. So there are probably, let me see if I got this straight. You all had specific numbers. And it so happened that it matched the series that he had. Is that correct? When we, who are sitting in our own homes, cut our deck Mm -hmm. and then looked at the top card, it matched one of those five numbers. And he needed all five of those specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is the thing that I learned about magic is that a lot of it is confidence (laughs) in that if it doesn't work how you want it to work, because you're always two steps ahead of the spectator, you can adjust if necessary. Oh, that's so interesting. So this is like an improv thing too. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing that I like about magic that is similar to improv is that it's all about the story. You are getting people on this story. Like, again, anyone can learn a magic trick. It's like, oh, great. Boom. I, I got you to pull this card or I did this thing. And the cool thing about magic, really good magicians take you on a story. And then they get you to be so drawn in on the story that when the trick happens, you're just like, what did I just witness? Yes. And a lot of magic is very simple, but because you're so captivated, and again, it's a great um, a great tip for presenters, is how can you tell a story that is going to captivate someone that they can suspend belief of everything else to just be like part of this moment? Because at the end of the day, we all want to be delighted. We all want to be surprised in some way, shape, or form. That's fascinating. And I totally see that overlap because when you were telling a story on stage, at least if you were calm about it, you can see the audience, you can look at them, you can see them trying to figure out what's going to happen next. If you're telling the story well, you can see them picturing it in their brain and you're two steps ahead and you're ready for the punchline that you're going to drop or the plot twist. That's really fascinating. Yeah. And you're getting the, all those emotions, all those feels as the, as the kids like to say now. And One of the cool things, too, and this is where a friend of mine, she's a master at this of they're called story loops where, you know, what emotions are in those stories and you are telling them in such a way that you're getting the audience to feel those like. So she has like she talks about having when she uh, sketching out her talks, she wants them to feel like frustration. She wants them to feel um, like like she lists out the emotions and then so she tells a story about frustration and she gets them to feel that emotion because again mirror neurons and all that other stuff and then she transitions into the next story of satisfaction and all these things and then she like closes all the loops of all these stories and then she like people feel all of those like she takes them on this emotional roller coaster and then again like you said you're two steps ahead of the person if you craft it correctly you're going to take them on this ride where at the end of the day, they're not only going to learn something, they're going to feel something. So in summary, you know how he did that magic trick. You don't need to tell us, but you know how he did it, right? Yeah. And it's hard. That, that is something that it takes a lot of mastery to do and a lot of setup. Uh, again, if you were sent the decks ahead of time, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, there you go. That's, that's all. I, they, they sent you the decks. Yeah, but again, I know, but I, I, my very first thing after it was over, I was like, are these all fours? Is everything in here a four? No, no, no. Uh-uh. it's not. But again, it, never trust anything a magician gives you. 
Because that's the thing of a magician. They want you to believe that you have free choice. They want you to believe that it was all free will. This sounds like conspiracy theory stuff. I know. Which, again, there's it's a, <laughs> like if you want to learn about psychology, if you want to learn about like learn magic, because, again, there's a lot that goes into magic. Like in order to do magic well, you have to believe it like and this is something that goes into your stories, into your presentations. The moment you stop like loving your talk because it's boring to you, it's going to be boring to the audience. And yeah. this gentleman, his name is Nate Staniforth. Uh, he, he's a magician. He has an amazing book called Here's Real Magic about like he wanted to be a magician since he was a kid and he achieved that. And he got to the point where he hated it. And like he walked off stage and, and like he thought his career was over and he went to find real magic. He went to India and stuff like that. His main thing was that what do you mean magician, he went to find real magic. Like he went, like he went on this quest to find real magic. Like he went to go meet these, like uh, these tribes in India that like do street magic and stuff like that to like get that feeling again that got him excited about the craft. And and his thing of doing all that, he, he, the sort of lesson is that you know there is magic in the everyday. Like you have to like believe it, and you have to go seek it out. But one of the things as a magician is that you have to still believe the trick. You like you have mm. to believe the illusion because if you don't, you can't sell it. The and that's where he realized he like it was just he was cynical and and he realized that yeah he was good at it he was good at sleight of hand and all this other stuff but it just wasn't the same for him and that's the same for people's talks is that you have to believe your talk and the moment it starts getting stale you need to do whatever you need to do to bring that magic back to you or else you're not going to convince your audience you're not going to persuade them because. You're you're not even persuading yourself. Like it, you're stale to you. Totally. Yep. Okay. Few last questions for you. Yeah. When we met in La Jolla, last moments before COVID, <laughs> we were talking about a Star Wars talk you were going to do for WDS. Yes. Is that. So I have two questions. Like, a is that talk? Is WDS coming back? Is that is that ever happening next year? Okay. And then other question is: So can you give people advice? That would be a fun talk for you. That'd be a fun talk for most people because you're you're linking your subject matter to something that you love, which is Star Wars. But mm -hmm. give the audience some ideas as to, well, how did you come up with the idea of Star Wars being part of your talk? That's my first question. Was it just, I love Star Wars. Maybe this would be fun to work in. Yes. So that is actually another technique that I use when I do public speaking uh, just to help people be more engaging. I, I help the, it's a remix game where... I have them talk about their subject matter expert, whatever they're good at, through the lens is something that they love. And so one, it's forcing them to like see the connections. But two, on a psychological level, when you're talking about something that you love, you can't help but to be excited about it. Mm -hmm. And then you start to weave in how it pertains to whatever your subject matter is. People are going to be interested because they're like, oh, skydiving, public, uh, you know, and skydiving yeah. and uh, project management. Oh, tell me about that. And so one, when I was thinking about my talk, and so for you listening, the talk was on how as adults, we have been conditioned to think that play is a frivolous activity. And I personally know as someone who studied play and has been a part of it, that the conditioning is deep. I still have moments where even though I know how beneficial it is, I go back to the old programming of must work, must do this. And I said, in order to 
like circumvent that you have to rebel you have to rebel against your adult self and then i was like ooh, like in star wars i was like ooh, what if, and then again it just sort of came to me and then i was like excited i was like ooh, let me put together a talk that is mixing you know how play you know in order to like get the benefits of play we need to rebel and there needs to be a rebellion and stuff like that and so i just was riffing and, yeah. and that's where it came from but i even if you don't do anything with it it's a fun activity to get you to work your creativity muscles is take something mm -hmm. that you're interested in and talk about what you do for a living through the lens of whatever you're interested in and see what you can do. That's great. And give me like a rapid fire tip or two about I wake up, I'm feeling low energy. How do I get psyched up for this talk? I've given 74 times already. Yep. So I, I call this powering up and it's again, and psychology and how the body works. If you believe it or not, if you move your body, <laughs> You're going to get endorphins. You're going to get uh, dopamine flowing through your body. And, and it's a, um, an activity that um, there's different names for it, but, you know, I call it uh, countdown. And then you, you go through each of your extremities. You're uh, sort of on, on the left hand. So left hand, right hand, left foot, right foot. And then you count down from eight. So you go eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Then the next one, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Then your foot, then your other foot. And then the next one's half of that. So four, four, three, two, one, four, three, two, one, four, three, two, one. And then two, one, two, one, two, one. And then one, 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 one. And then when you're done, you do a power pose, like sort of like Amy Cuddy style, like sort of thing. And again, just by doing that is moving the body and it's just sort of waking you up. Boom, boom, boom. You know, it gets you into the right state. So that's the first thing that I do. Then the next thing I do, again, like, I know this is like getting into like the woo-woo Tony Robbins thing, but like I seriously put on music that makes me feel good and then close my eyes and picture myself going through my talk. Not just going through the talk, but like literally walking into the room or in this case, walking into my office, sitting down at my computer, like, and I, like, while listening to something that makes me feel good, I do that. And then I started adding one more thing. I started adding a scent. Uh, I found that there is a, a study that there is a strong uh, correlation to emotions through scents. So I have a smell that is my power up smell. And again, I could be like feeling like, oh my God, I have to do this again. But I go through that series of like, I call it powering up. And I will feel way better than had I not done it. Now, it's not yeah. necessarily, you know, some days I have to go through it again. <laughs> yeah. Run it back. But again, it's better than had I done nothing. Yep. That's great. Yeah. Put on Macklemore downtown and then be low energy. That's my challenge for you. Right? right? Gary, if you were giving a commencement speech, what would that, what would that revolve around? Like, what, what would the theme be? What would you talk yeah, about? Yeah. The theme would be that the purpose of you going through school is to learn how to learn and to adapt. Uh, and I would talk about the fact that I went to a technical school. I went to the Art Institute of California, Los Angeles, and I went there and, and I was so like dedicated on learning out how to be a uh, multimedia web designer. And I learned on like Photoshop one and that's <laughs> it doesn't even exist. All the things I learned on are obsolete. And if I was cynical about that, I would be pissed off. I granted I was at first, but what I realized what it taught me, it taught me how to learn. It taught me how to adapt. And that would be my main thing is like, you know, you're here to adapt. And, and I don't think a lot of schools necessarily will book me for that because they're like, you're basically saying the stuff that we're teaching people is going to be obsolete. And actually, yes, that's what I'm saying. Uh, but the main thing about the education, you know, of, of college uh, that 
was for me was it taught me how to adapt, how to think on my feet, how to, you know, go with the flow. And that would be my focus of my commencement address. Oh, yeah. I don't think it's that controversial. I've heard liberal arts described as, <laughs> well, when do you ever use, uh, I don't know, insert women's studies or something like that here? I'm not saying there's no validity to the fact that, like, oh, maybe I'm not going to use this in life, but I've heard it equated to lifting weights. Like, you're not lifting weights because someday, all of a sudden, on the side of the road, there's going to be a bench press, and you need to do that to survive, right? <laughs> like, right. It's not, but it, it's it's making your brain stronger. So that's that's the comparison. I like that. All right, Gary, give us a Gary Ware speaking tip. All right, <laughs> I, I've been thinking about this of, of like, all right, what is something that you know, that you're not going to find, like, you know, when you search, like, what are the best things for speaking? Yeah, top 10 things for public speaking, right. And the thing that keeps coming to mind is uh, what I learned from improv. And it's all like in improv, we have these principles that allow us to be able to get a suggestion and be able to tell a story out of thin air. And if you've heard of improv, you probably heard of yes, and that's like the, mm -hmm. the main thing with improv. But the lesser learned or talked about principles of of improvisation that I you can't unlearn them. Like once you start applying them on stage, you can't unlearn them is the thing about making your partner look amazing. And how that applies to the speaking world is that it gets you out of your head and it's less about you and it's more about the audience. And when I think about that before I go give a talk, I'm like, you know what? My job is to make them look amazing. And how I make them look amazing is less about me getting up and like, you know, being perceived a certain way or like, oh, how do I, you know, look this way and, <laughs> and sounding smart? It's all about like, you know what? How can I make a connection with that person? How can I touch their hearts? And so that is my speaking tip to you is what do you need to do to make your partner look amazing? Maybe it is you need to do a few more reps of that so that you can be able to think on your feet. Maybe the way that you make your partner look amazing is you get out of your own way and get, turn off that ego and realize that it's not about you. So your partner, if I'm giving a keynote, that's who is that? Your partner. Well, if you're giving a keynote, your partner is the person that hired you. Your, your partner is the yep. person sitting out yep. uh, in the audience that is looking at you. You know, in improv, we talk about an ensemble um, and we like to say we is greater than me. And, you know, I, I get what public speaking, you know, the allure of is like, oh, yeah, the, the you know, everyone's looking at me and, and, you know, I could be this person of influence. But at the end of the day, it's not about you. Yeah, that's great. It's not about you. All right. Last thing. This is always my favorite part. And I mean, I must say, I'm expecting something good here, Gary. I know, right? The, the, yeah. I talk about lowering expectations. And then I <laughs> and then when you told me about this, I'm like, oh, my God, Mike's going to be like, all right, you better you better drop it. <laughs> And so, now, right, here we go. the man with the improv background who speaks all the time will tell us a pretty darn good story. Let's hear it. Okay. And so, as a way to, like, sort of flex my improv skills, I... Oh, do I need to, like, just throw details at you in the middle and you will adjust? Oh, that would be that would be fun. No, what, no. What, I, what I decided is <laughs> I was going to tell a, a story that I don't tell a lot. Uh, because again, if it's a story I tell a lot, you're like, oh, well, this improviser, you're like, oh, yeah. So I'm going to tell, I'm just going to get into it. So it is March of 2018. I'm on the beach of uh, San Juan del Sur in Nicaragua. 
It's the last day of my trip. The six days before that, I was doing I was doing a adventure sort of play uh, retreat with twelve other people that um, you know wanted to do less adulting. And this trip almost didn't happen. But I'm looking out at the sunset, and there's these little baby turtles. They're in the sand. And they're like making their way from their eggs over to the ocean. And I look up and I said, wow, my life is good. I am doing work that matters. I have a job that is supporting me to do that. Because at the time, I was co-running a digital marketing agency, which gave me the ability to take time off. This was my birthday. I just, at this point, I turned 38. 38 years old. It was uh, my birthday week. And to celebrate and commemorate this moment, I went and got a tattoo on my right arm um, in uh, sort of kanji script uh, that said uh, the the tattoo uh, was harmony. Uh, Because on my left arm, I have a tattoo that said chaos. And, And for the longest time, I felt like my life had been nothing but chaos. And for the first time in a long time, I felt this harmony. (sighs) <sighs> Little did I know uh, that harmony is always followed by chaos and chaos is always followed by harmony. I get back home uh, refreshed and energized after this amazing uh, week trip. I met up with my business partner, what I thought was our normal sort of Monday check-in. And to my surprise, when we caught up at this, uh, you know, uh, restaurant um, just to you know find out what I missed in the week uh, where I was gone he slid a piece of paper and that was my buyout check he gave me the news Wait, he actually slid the piece of paper I, know, <laughs> I thought that was right? only on TV yeah no he, he he slid it like he literally slid this piece of paper <laughs> and he said Gary I think we should go our separate ways he being the primary sort of st- uh, like owner in this this venture um, had the ability to do that Uh, What I didn't realize, which I should have saw the writing on the wall, he bought out our other partner six months prior to this, um, and which gave him complete control. And I was oblivious to all of this. But when it rains, it pours. Because two hours after that conversation, still stunned that I was essentially unemployed, the landlord of the house that me and my wife had been renting for the last five years called to tell me that he is selling the house and we will have 60 days to move. And my wife was not working at the time uh, because we agreed that uh, she would not work until our son Garrett was five. So I was the only person making money for my family. And I uh, was just recently unemployed and 60 days from being homeless. That was the moment when I decided that I did not want to go back to digital marketing, that I would commit myself to being a facilitator and bringing improv-based training to individuals and teams to help them um, actually bring more joy in their life. So that is my story. Oh, Gary, it's good. Here, can I give some advice on Please. this story that you never tell? Yeah. I want I want like a bigger zoom in on you making that decision. Yeah, thank you. If it's 
I realize this might not be how it actually played out, but think about that in a movie. We would we would see you at the dinner table. We would see it being late at night, maybe that glass of whiskey or whatever. And we would we would see you having that moment. So long way to say we would be in scene with you and it wouldn't just be that was the moment where I decided X, Y and Z. So we would we would see an actual action that took place afterwards. Yeah. Don't make it up, but we would see the person, you know, running. Like, Why? Uh, you wouldn't say wife. You would say her actual name. Uh, but like jumping in bed and, uh, and saying, like, let's go for it. And I love hearing the evolution of that. And that's that as an audience member. Like, it's a cool story, but that as an audience member, I think, takes it next level. So I don't know if you'll Thank ever you. actually use that in real life. But yeah, I think that's what we want. I, I, I might. I, um, you know, there there are certain things where there's like a a glaring hole where I haven't like necessarily told that story. Cause yeah. there, there's a lot of people that are like, Oh yeah, you should do digital marketing. Now you do this. <laughs> and, and, right. and because I done both like concurrently, like, and then there was just one point, they just thought it was like a little slider where I just like, at one point I did it and I didn't, you know, totally. so, yep. so yeah, I, you know, thank you. That that's a really great note. Thank you so much. Mike. Yeah. I appreciate that. Gary, where can people find out more about you and your world of not doing digital marketing? Where can we find out more about you? <laughs> yeah, you could, uh, hit me up on my website, breakthroughplay.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. If, if that's your, your flavor of social media, um, from time to time, you know, <laughs> I'm on Instagram. Um, but not, not that much. I don't know. So yeah, and it's uh, it's you, Gary you, Ware W A R E. It's not like a correct. Question. It's my full name. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not Gary a question. Ware. Yeah. <laughs> There's no question who I am. Yes. <laughs> There's no question. It is Gary Ware W A R E. Boom. Boom. Gary, it has been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. Mike, my the pleasure's all mine. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again to our guest Gary Ware. Love that guy. I have been your host, Mike Pacchione, for the week, and every week, really. <laughs> the Best Speech Podcast is lightly edited by Alicia Odiano. Music, as always, from Jonah Ramey. Thanks so much, my friends. We will catch you next time, and until then, do good things out there.